regular feet. Sorry, regularly. I don't know what's going on today. Regularly, regularly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've only got an hour to do regularly. this. Regularly, regularly. <laughs> often. Regu- Just regu- say often. Often. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so sorry. Okay, right. I'm gonna. <laughs> it's because it's you. You're making me laugh. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Are You Sitting Uncomfortably with me, Gemma Greaves, founder of Nurture and Cabal. This is a podcast that features courageous storytellers who are comfortable with getting uncomfortable. It's no secret that creating safe spaces to talk openly and share our personal stories has become a bit of an obsession of mine. So why uncomfortable? Well, quite simply, I feel we don't have enough of life's difficult conversations. We tend to avoid getting uncomfortable. We leave so much left unsaid. And let's be frank, you don't grow or learn anything new by staying in your comfort zone. I honestly believe powerful storytelling is a catalyst for change. So love that I get to chat to incredible guests who all have a story and who are all ready to sit uncomfortably. So let's begin. Today's guest is Debbie Vivangus. As global lead of IBM Garage, the unit that is revolutionising the way that work gets done inside IBM and with its clients, Debbie is a brilliant thought leader in the world of digital transformation. Having spent some 25 years in IBM, she refers to herself as an accidental lifer. I think you get less for life. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, stop it. Okay. Debbie is a relentless innovator and is on a mission to make a meaningful and authentic impact on businesses. And she's certainly doing that. Often featured in Women in Tech and Inspirational Leader Awards, she is a phenomenal leader and brings her whole self to work and encourages everyone around her to do the same. Amen to that. Debbie is a powerhouse, a change maker, and most importantly, a wonderful mum and role model to her kids and everyone around her, including me. Welcome, Debbie. Lovely Hello, to Gemma have you here. Graves. It's <laughs> lovely to be here, although I do wonder who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about you, and every word is true and real and just brings you to life. So I have to ask you, Debbie, are you sitting uncomfortably? Yes, I'm almost always sitting uncomfortably. I quite like uncomfortable. It's a you know, it's a place I put myself. Yeah, I like uncomfortable too. Well, clearly, because I'm doing this pot. <laughs> so looking back, if you could pick a moment that shaped who you are today and gives us a bit of a window into your world, what would that be? So my life story, I am a mother of three. I have one beautiful 14-year-old son. I have one beautiful nine-year-old stepson and a daughter who passed at four and a half years old in 2016. And she died of a genetic disorder that she'd had her whole life. So she it wasn't just losing Evelyn, it was four and a half years of losing her slowly that was that was particularly challenging and all of that was going on and you know at the same time that I'm trying to balance a full-time career and trying to establish myself as 
as a leader in this digital space and and trying to be a, a leader for my teams and all of the people around the the human element is deeply deeply important to me and I'm sure we'll get into that but you know how I lead teams how I show up in front of teams how authentic I am you know, all of these things which you know trying to find the balance through all of that what was I prepared to share what was I prepared to be open with how was I going to navigate this unnavigatable now I need to put my teeth in this unnavigatable path it's not just made yeah yeah. just like how was I going to find my way through it it Mm. was yeah it was quite bewildering at times and and actually I decided that the only way to do it was with humility and honesty and I wouldn't get help if I didn't ask for help and how would anybody know that I needed support if I didn't share that what I was going through? And, and so I wore it on my sleeve and I had nothing but love and support back. So I would encourage others to, it's, it's okay to be real. So yeah, so that was all going on at the same time as as trying to, like I say, make my mark and establish myself. And I was in the midst of trying to do something different and something special. And then unfortunately, Evelyn passed. And I had some time out, as you would expect. And I came back probably far too soon. There's lots of things would I do differently, almost certainly. I absolutely put myself at the back of the queue in terms of how I would deal with things. I avoided it for a long time. I just went hell for leather back at work, which meant me very successful on one track because it was really effective at all the same time when everything else is <laughs> falling apart in the, in the background. And so that be, that became quite difficult to navigate at times. But, yeah, that's life, right? It's life. It's, um, you know... It's my life. <laughs> her, 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 horrendous. I know you've talked about it a few times with me and you talk about how you, you wear a piece of her with you, don't always, you? Always, always. I won't dangle it because I'll get told off by the producers. But <laughs> I, I always have her around my neck. If you go into my house, there isn't a single room in my house that you can be in where you can't see a photo of her. I talk about her all the time. She is and will always be my beautiful daughter. She just happens to not be physically here with me anymore. But I couldn't love her anymore. And you talk about how you're showing up as a leader. And I know, you know, with your your team's IBM, do you think that bringing that whole self has has helped you? That's a that's a big question, right? Number one, I think I believe passionately you can't ask anybody to do what you're not prepared to do yourself. So you have to lead by example. You have to be the change you want to see. It's a trite expression. I'm sure if there was a swear jar, I'd have to put some money in it for trotting out a canned face. But you do. And I just think we all are drawn to authenticity. If you think about your own life, you think about the people that are inspiring you. And if you look at them, almost always it's because they're real. They're really real at what they do, whatever that is. And so I think authenticity is incredibly important and quite hard to do in a corporate environment Mm. because there is a certain expectation. There's a certain persona. But to encourage authenticity, I'm happy to share everything. Authenticity doesn't have to mean that. And I think that's another important point. Authenticity Mm. is whatever is comfortable for you, right? Whatever is your real self. But the point is that don't hide things that are important to you because you're worried about somebody else's reaction, right? So being real, being authentic, to be able to lead with that was deeply important. And, And so... How do I encourage it in others? It wasn't just about talking about Evelyn. Obviously, that's that's a big part of it. But 
I, I talked very openly about the fact that I had a lot of mental health support after Evelyn and my now ex-husband and I got divorced. You know, it was just it was all going on at the same time. And I talked about that quite openly and honestly. I was leading IX at the time, which is IBM's digital arm for the UK and Ireland. And I remember sending a note out to everybody on Mental Health Day. And I was just talking about how I'd been to therapy and how it was incredibly helpful and how a brain is just like a muscle. And if you broke your leg, you'd go to the hospital. So what was the big drama about going to talk to a therapist? And this is what I talked about. And so whatever it was that people needed, then go do it. And I had literally thousands of people replying, right? And so there is a desperate desire for people to find that authenticity and to respond to it, I find, right? I think there is an appetite for it. And as a leader showing that, you know, not everything's perfect. Like I remember when I used to lead teams, I used to share if I'm having a bad day. Absolutely. And then other people would say, oh, me too, Gem. Then it's not easy in the corporate no, world to do 100%. that. 100%. And if I think about how many people I interact with on a daily basis, and I will say to them, how are you? The standard opening line. 99.9% of the time, the answer you get back from almost everybody is, oh, I'm fine, how are you? That's almost certainly never true. And so in terms of making people uncomfortable, I've done some things that are deliberately over the top, right? If anybody ever came to visit me in my office back in the day when we were in IBM South Bank, and it was just a, a homage to pink glitter, Right. You went in, it was a tiny little office, but it had so much stuff on the walls. It was just dripping with nonsense. Everything was pink and glittery. And it was like I was saying, look, I'm going to be authentic. And I was purposely saying, it's okay. It's really okay to be yourself. And it was just, the impact was amazing. It yeah. just of people just feeling empowered. I'm a big fan of empowerment, right? Yeah, me too. Me too. And as leaders, I think that's our responsibility to empower people to be at their best, yeah. to help them be at their best and help them get get the best out of them by empowering and inspiring and being great role models. It's interesting, isn't it? The, the very word leader suggests you're out in the front, right? And that you're, and to a degree you are, but I would always describe, you know, whenever I'm drawing an organisation chart, wherever I'm thinking about, you know, I would just draw it completely upside down, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm at the bottom. My job is to create an environment where all of these amazing developers and creatives and designers and richly diverse communities are going to come together to create this incredible impact for the client. And so my job is to serve. My job is to create an environment that empowers them, that enables them, clears the path of the blockages. And yeah, maybe does a bit of direction setting, but allows that also to be reset by them, right? So what really makes you uncomfortable? So what makes me truly uncomfortable? I mean, lots of things. I go incredibly fast through life and through that speed you often make mistakes and I used to be a real master. I don't like thinking about that so I'm going to put a wall up in my brain so I can avoid thinking about that. Just pretend that didn't happen. In the wee small hours, those things can leak out and give you all sorts of emotions and discomfort is definitely one of those if you find yourself doing things that you think, you know, did I, you know, that situation that was, you know, is that really how I meant that to be? But for me, discomfort drives change. But if I reflect on 
25 plus years of delivering and leading in tech and life as a mother and all of these things. But for me, I have to deliver impact and value and this this sense of really wanting to change. And about 10 years ago or so, I read this article in a Harvard Business Review and it talked about how 75% of digital transformations fail to deliver an impact to the business performance. And I literally laid awake at night thinking about this for night after night after night after night after night in terms of this this just can't be how it's meant to be. Am I in that 75%? And I'm reflecting on the 15 years of delivering for my clients and thinking it's, there's none of that delivered an impact to the business performance. And so everything from then on in is about how do I be part of the 25? And now it's that statistic is now 84%. How do I be in that group that's delivering value? And for me, that was a real pivot. That was a real moment of change of it's not enough to just do stuff. It's not enough even just to do good stuff. How do you know you're doing good, right? You know, it's all it's all of the things that are needed to, to see the value and the impact all the way through and to tackle this hard problem, right? Because it's hard. It's really hard. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. So when you say digital transformation, can you just explain for our listeners that aren't in the industry yep. what you mean by that? So it can be anything and everything. I get asked this question a lot, what is digital? And when you're in the industry, then it's a blanket term that's used for almost everything we do now. But if you think of any company or brand that you interact with, the modern world that we live in requires them to be able to understand their customers, operate across the globe, work together with their partners in a new and and different way. And that requires them to be able to understand data from across their organization or be able to bring things together so that they can you know they can all come around the same idea and all of these things need to be digitized over the passage time and and you know enterprises around the world are on all sorts of different journeys at all sorts of different places so it could mean i sell in a physical shop and now i want to sell in an online shop but it could also be i have hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of people who manage my end-to-end supply chain and I want to take all the humans out of that because I want to use digital technology and AI and cloud and all of these things that are increasingly prevalent. So it's about leveraging the use of digital technology to optimize business performance and deliver meaningful experiences. And what's unique about the digital transformation is that so much of it is designed to deliver for humans. So it's what is the human impact of what you're doing and how do you take that into account? But what I like I say, what I love about it is the thing I love to do more than anything, the thing that gives me purpose and my own personal buzz is driving change, impact, having an impact. Mm. And that can be at an individual, at a team, for my client, for IBM, for the people I work with, for my child, you know, whatever it is, I want to have an impact. I just, you know, I'm I'm, the, I'm a problem solver. I want to make things better and, you know, change, and you do have change the world. And, and you know, and, and so, so I think for me, just, you know, being able to be true to that is really important. So what is the change you would like to see in the industry? So I'm a woman in tech, right? What would I like to see? There are all sorts of very obvious things like more diversity, more women in tech, all of those other things. But really what I want to see is 
is true alignment around value and really getting after that right and 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 understanding that to get after value you have to ask hard questions yeah. you have to do research you have to be prepared to change you have to look at human nature and behavior and all of these things tech is very rarely actually going to drive the change that you want so so for me it's so much more about how do we create environments where people can be their best selves and be authentic and bring it all out and and through that deliver these amazingly impactful things so what would i like to see change i'd like to see way more women going all the way up the line i would like to see way more embracing of diversity and all of its forms in in all structures in all organizations i would like all organizations to ask the real question of value and to really understand what that means so there's lots of things why do you think there isn't enough women in tech and also why is it not diverse enough everything i'm about to say is is absolutely true for all diversity spectrums right so there isn't enough diversity in tech full stop right women is a really obvious and visible example of that and the change is also visible right you can see it you really see it very quickly and i would say the industry tech generally has come a long long way over the last 10 years or so attracting women into the industry campaigns around steam and stem and all of these things getting into universities getting into schools all of that i think has helped although there is an enormous amount more that's still to be done the pipeline is definitely better. The ratios of men and women that come in when they're hired at apprentice levels and graduate levels in, you know, across the tech industry is much more balanced. Mm. The trouble is, as you progress through tech, it, it becomes increasingly obvious that, that it doesn't remain that same diverse pool, that, that it becomes more singular in mm. pockets. And so it's not about getting them in the door it's about keeping them in the door so what what's that about and what do we need to do about that and that that's all sorts of things from organizational cultures to how we develop skills to how we help find balance it is a societal thing in terms of how the balance between men and women when the home place changes when people have children the burden of that's very often still on the woman you know so all of these things influence but i think we have to we have to, and if I have to break my neck on this glass ceiling, you know, I will. We have to help and continue to drive and solve that. And and my best way of helping is is again to be the change I want to see. To show up with diverse teams, to to always look for that in my. And to be honest, I don't really have to do it consciously anymore because it's just you know the way that I build the teams, the way that we look at the skill sets, all of that demands diversity. Um, uh, and that, again, is what I'm trying to encourage. And, and my personal experience tells me over and over and over again. And for me, ultimately, it's all about that neurodiversity. And I don't just, you know, I don't mean a range of neuro abilities, but just different mindsets. You have to have those different mindsets around the table, because when you do that and you empower and enable that, the future is literally limitless. Yeah, those brainstorms become quite different. And the energy and the passion and the way they, you know, and you literally can go, oh, 
my work here is done. They're, you know, they're off. They're, you know, I am no longer, uh, you know, I'm a catalyst into the into the petri dish, right? I you know, fizz, fizz them all up, and then and then and then they're off. But I'm definitely seeing change in that. You know, I've done a couple of talks for young people recently, and it's wonderful to see that young people realise there's so many opportunities because there's great organisations, for example, like the female lead with Edwina Dunn. Yep. And she's getting to the, the young students, the, the universities now, to show these opportunities for careers in STEM that we wouldn't have thought about back when we were growing up and, and coming out of uni. Wouldn't it have even been a question? Whereas now, it's really the, the attractive jobs that are in that industry is huge. You know, I completely agree. I think there is much more awareness of tech as a, and again, it's so broad. You know, what I do is very different to what almost everybody else I work with does. So there's so much flexibility in there for you to follow your passions and what you personally are drawn to and when you how you want to change the world and how hands-on with technology you know I call you know I call myself an accidental lifer for sure but I'm also the least techie techie right I mean I just you know I know a little bit about everything you know and and but the technology for me is just amazing like in terms of how it can come together and and almost my surface level knowledge allows me to constantly push because I'm like well surely it can do that surely we can fix that problem but so again you know and I think I think the way that technology has become much more omnipresent right it's it's in everybody's life you see many more adverts for things that are tech driven you see much more dialogue about it almost every engineering it stem type career has a campaign to encourage women so all of that is bearing fruit that isn't the problem in my view now the problem particularly for women is is retaining them and so that's the problem we have to deal with now right like how do we make sure that all of those women progress at the same pace how do we make sure that they are encouraged and want to do so how do we make it possible how do we give them examples of it but you know you scratch your head there aren't that many female ceos why do you think it is that we can't retain women not offering the flexibility the agility I don't know. Honestly, it's a question. I think I think there is some of that. I think there is a perception, which may or may not be true, as to what it takes mm. to do that, mm. what you have to give up. You know, I've been asked lots of times, what did I have to sacrifice to oh, achieve this? I, I hate that question because my answer is always nothing. And I remember when I first became Chief Exec of the Marketing Society, the first journalist that interviewed me said, you know, as a successful female leader, it must be really tough. And you, what have you had to give up? And I thought, well, you wouldn't ask a man that question, would you? You definitely wouldn't ask you a wouldn't. man that question. No. And I actually answered and I said, well, I don't, first of all, I don't think of myself as a, a female. I think of myself as a, as a person, as a leader. Um, but I, I said, it's, it's not easy. You have to, there is, there, is a, there is a juggle and you can't have it all. But as long as you show up as your authentic self, you can be a mum and a chief exec, a dad and a chief, you know. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you, right? So number one, you're 
dead on. Mm. There isn't a single man that's ever got asked the question as to what they've had to give up to yeah. be successful. Whereas women, I get asked it literally every time I'm yeah. in a conversation. So at some point that'll stop. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll stop being a leading female in digital. I'll just be a leader in digital. You know, all of these things. And they are examples of when the culture is truly, truly shifted. But I think of the things that I've done as choices not sacrifices mm. you can't have it all for sure but but the things I have are the things I chose to have yeah right and I make the choices and you know and I always give the example of when when my kids were little I wanted to get home to be there for tea to be a present mom so that meant that I often had to leave the office at four because I had to get there for nursery pickup and then that meant that I almost certainly had emails to catch up on at eight o'clock when their kids are in bed and therefore, I would log on for an hour or two and catch up and do whatever is necessary to balance the day out. I don't think that's a sacrifice. I think that's a choice. You a choice I made because I wanted to be a present mom for my tea. And yeah. the consequence of that choice is that I have to do that. So I'm in control of my choices. I'm not in control of what I've had to sacrifice, if that makes sense. I, for me, being that sense of... I'm navigating my ship is really important to me. So I don't I don't think of it as and the minute you start thinking other people are putting this on you it it becomes very difficult, I think. But if you can pinpoint a moment or a time when you felt most uncomfortable or when you last felt uncomfortable, what would that be? I mean, I feel uncomfortable on a daily basis, Gemma. I feel uncomfortable when we are in situations where we're delivering very hard things and the teams are being pushed really hard and I have to find that balance of encouraging them to deliver and you know how you know balance you know what they need and how do you bridge that but but for me, I think it's the avoidance of the difficult I find really uncomfortable I find and that can be a little thing it can be you know, somebody's hurting in front of you, like you know, somebody trips and you just walk past. I mean, it could be any little thing. Mm. So I, I'm not sure I can answer that with anything pithy, Jam. Mm. Uncomfort and discomfort. Like I say, I put myself there permanently because when I'm not uncomfortable, I'm bored out of my brain. Yeah, you like you like to keep yourself busy, don't you? I like to keep myself challenged. Mm. It's not just busy. I don't want to be busy doing stuff. I want to be learning new things. Yeah, like learning new craft. things and giving things back. And you know, I have zero ability to sit still. I can't even just watch telly. I have to watch telly and do something else. You know, it's just for me. It's it. it you know, being moving, trying, experimenting, and then and then dropping into bed at you know always at half past six is a bedtime. <laughs> Because I'm so tired. <laughs> well, thank you for sitting still for an hour. Very much appreciate it. Even though you were maybe a little bit fidgety. I did my best. I was trying really hard Don't when you... I moved not to make the chair creak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you've recently been diagnosed, haven't you? It's neurodivergent. Well, so I'm not sure diagnosed is, is as far as I would go. Um, obviously, the world is very, very much more aware of neurodiversity and all of its forms. Um, you know, for me, there are some definite ADHD traits that have been identified and I'm okay with that, right? And, and I think it's about understanding and there's some great podcasts, by the way, on ADHD and how you do it. So, um, but, that, you know, there's some really 
there's some power to these diversities, right? And you, the, the important thing is to understand that they're there, understand how you harness them, understand what that means you need and what you can do and what you can't do. I mean, I have been 100% open across my entire career that I'm great at these things, really bad at these things. You know, I like a picture, I hate a spreadsheet. Everybody at IBM knows that about me. Everybody at <laughs> IBM knows that about me. Every, because I'm really open and I'm really open about it because I don't want to do spreadsheet. So, you know, the more I'm open about it, the more I'm authentic about, and this is why I just really, I really struggle with the, with the level of detail, the level of focus that's to keep my brain going, just stay, 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 you know, and I just a thousand thoughts come crashing in and then I've just wandered off. But, but it's that thousand thoughts that give me the ability to create enormously creative solutions and to, to see a different path through a problem or to tackle a challenge in a different way. And so, Whatever the neurodiversity is, it should be embraced and it's a powerhouse, right? Bring it in, bring it in, bring it in, right? And, and, you know, ADHD, I think, is the world's (laughs) most undiagnosed neurodiversity. I suspect if you tested everybody, we would all, we would all appear on the spectrum somewhere. Yeah. It's our superpower. Yeah, for sure. Um, For sure. Learning how to embrace it. For sure. I mean, that's, you know, the, the, the most brilliant brains are, have got to be able to come to the party and to bring what they bring, right? And and it's incumbent on all of us to make that possible, to be inclusive. And and there is a difference between diversity and inclusion, and it's the inclusion that we want, right? So why do you think it's important to get uncomfortable and why is it important for brands and leaders to get uncomfortable? Because if you don't get uncomfortable, everything stays the same. If you don't challenge the big question, if you don't look at the thing a different way, if you don't test and think, what am I doing? You know, is it, you know, I just think when you're comfortable, you know, I have many, many, many Supergirl crushes, Gemma Groves being absolutely one of them, right? But Ginny Rometty, the previous mm. CEO of IBM, was an amazing woman, right? And one of the things she used to talk about was that if you're comfortable, you're not you're not taking enough risk. You're not challenging yourself. And that I'm all in on that. I totally get what she's getting at, right? Which is that if you don't make yourself uncomfortable, it's almost certainly because you're you're not changing things. You're not pushing barriers. You're not breaking boundaries. You're not making things better. So make things better that's a perfect perfect spot to end <laughs> thank you so much and I think you know I couldn't agree more and the girl crush is completely reciprocated <laughs> you know that <laughs> you know that girl. too I'm Gemma Greaves and Are You Sitting Uncomfortably is a Fresh Air production and the producers are Izzy Clark and Clara Kavanagh If you enjoyed this podcast, then please do me a massive favour and follow us, recommend us. And if you're feeling really kind, then leave us a review. The bigger the following, the more opportunity to have the best guests. And I want to have these uncomfortable and crucial conversations with incredible people like Debbie. Thank you very much, Jim. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. (laughs) 